Okay. Um, okay, so thank you for those who, who came back. If you weren't at the first one, which I think is almost no one here, but even if you weren't at the first one, you should be able to follow uh, what we're going to do tonight. And I said part one is, um, part one, the goal was really to kind of give a overview of the importance of learning the Ian, so a few principles about the concept of learning the Ian. Tonight, I want to kind of jump in to the topics a little bit more. Um, from the outset, the goal of this three-part series to me um, is is daunting. Um, it's also somewhat impossible. You can't really um, give over um, all the tools of what that means to be a lambda in, uh, in a three-part series. Um, my goal, I guess, if I were going to articulate a goal, um, my goal would be to um, to try to walk you through what I do when I learn. The reason that I say that um, is not fast or shalom in any form of arrogance, um, but when I was thinking about the notion of giving a shear of the tools for an aspiring lamdan, I said in the first year, and I mean it, I don't claim to be a lamdan, nor do I claim to be a tamil chacham, but if I'm going to be standing here giving the shear, I, I feel it would be not only disingenuous, but also somewhat foolish to give someone else's approach on how to do it. Because the whole goal, if I give over anything, if I give over anything, the most important thing is for us to put ourselves into the learning. Um, that, to me, that is probably the most lost thing that we do in our learning, which again, the goal is to hear someone else's amazing sheer and to read someone else's amazing ideas, and that's all true and well, and we should do all those things, but if you ask me what I think the goal of Talmud Torah is, the goal is for us to be our own commentary on Torah. Every single one of us, that is our goal. Our goal is for us to see the Torah through our, the lens of our own eyes and to help the Torah become the lens with which we see the world. But it's meant to really see the Torah with our own eyes and to be almost the commentary on it. So uh, my goal is not even to, to convince you to, to learn like I do, but I guess if I'm going to stand here and give a sheer on what tools are, so I'm going to do my best to tell you what I do. Um, I'll, I'll do my best. I did spend a lot of time trying to articulate a few things that can, can be some big ideas. And what I want to do tonight is kind of talk about a few um, basic ideas. Um, again, some which I, I think are, are pretty basic and some which I think are somewhat novel. Um, the first is a Gemara and Ksubis that I love. Um, I, I love this Gemara and Ksubis not for the context of the sugya. I took it specifically out of context and a little bit of a complex sugya about Ksuba, about inheriting a Ksuba, and whatever it may be. But what I love about this Gemara is the following line. Amar Rava. Rava says this topic. Hi Milsa, Kashya be Rab, Rabba Rav Yosef, Esrin Vitartin Shanin, Velo Ifrik. This issue was a difficulty for Rabba and Rav Yosef for 22 years, and they never answered it. Adiyasa Rav Yosef Reshu Parke. Until Rav Yosef became the Rosh Hashiva, and then they finally answered the question. Now, what's incredible about that Gemara to me is that they sat with the question for 22 years. That's a lot of years. 22 years, and they knew how many years it was. They articulated it. It wasn't say, we sat on this question for a long time. They said, we sat on this question for 22 years, right? Now, to me, what's so powerful about that, and probably, um, to, again, to me, one of the most important things about, about trying to learn um, is to ask questions and not be bothered that you don't know the answer. Uh, it's, the goal is not just to give answers, right? I have a question. Uh, here's three answers, right? I, I said last time, and I did get a few comments from people in the shir, and actually people who listen to the shir on recording. I got a few comments about me knocking the masifta. 
I wasn't trying to bash Masifta, and I want to explain what I was saying, because it's very important for this point. What I was trying to say is that the Masifta is almost trying to, here's Lamdas, here it is, on a silver platter, just take it, swallow it up, eat it, and regurgitate it to somebody else. But to me, that's not the goal of learning, right? The goal of learning is not to see a great question, and here are six answers from six amazing achronim, and they all are amazing achronim. But I can promise you that each one of those achronim that is quoted in the back of the Masifta did not get it from just sitting and learning the Masifta. They sat there and learned the sugi and sat on it and wondered and questioned and came back to it and left it and came back to it again. That's how you learn, right? You don't learn by just like quickly, you know, you know, putting together sources. You learn by sitting on things and understanding it and being bothered by things and not and not settling for bad answers. And now when I say a bad answer, I can mean a bad answer to you. This answer doesn't sit well with me. There's something about that. I, I'm not sure what, you know, it's still bothering me. And you'll, I'm going to keep coming back to this topic over and over and over again until I feel I am settled with it. And that point to me, more than anything, again, is the key to really learning, is to really ask questions and look, seek for honest answers. And an honest answer to you might be different than somebody else. You may say an answer and you're chavrusa or something. I don't like that answer. Okay, that's fine. But this is why it's compelling to me. This is what I'm trying to give over. It's, it's so important. This Gemara always stuck out to me. It always sticks with me. This Gemara in Ksubastav and Beis and Beis that Rab and Yosef for 22 years sat on a question. But beyond just asking questions, what I want to do tonight is try and articulate a few, again, tools um, for, for learning. So the first is, again, I, I, know, I know I keep saying the same refrain, it may be overly obvious, but the first is just being a critical reader. Um, when I say being a critical reader, I mean, like, not just breezing through things and be like, okay, I understand what the words mean. No, no, no. What is it saying, Right. Are the, what exactly is going on in this sentence? And how do I, again, make the periods, the commas, what is it flow from what? And there's a lot of different examples of this. One of my favorite examples of being a critical reader, um, it's a shir that I gave here in the shul as in, uh, in, the, in the afternoon kolo. I also gave it as a chabura, I believe. I think I gave it twice. A certain shirim that I like a lot, I'll repeat them. I haven't liked this shir a lot. Um, and it has to do with the very first line in this Mishnah in, in, in Psachim, in the, in the Parak Arve Psachim. And part of what I like about this specific one is it's something that we all kind of know. Um, and again, those kind of things we don't tend to question. It's like, yeah, I know that, right? That's, that's the, yeah, I know this, right? So the Mishnah in the beginning, uh, sorry, in the, in the, towards the end of Arve Psachim, the last Parak in Psachim, says the following Mazgu lo kos sheni, vikan haben shoel of it. You pour the second cup of wine, and here the son asks his father, If the child does not have the knowledge, the father is going to teach him. And the Mishnah continues, Why is this night different than etc. Right? He teaches him the Manishtana. Now, I'm going to hesitantly open it to the crowd. How do you read this Mishnah. What did we just say? What, what did we say? Kan haben shoel aviv. Here the son asks his father. If the son doesn't know, the father is going to teach him. And then the Mishnah says the manishtan. So if the son does know how to ask, what is he asking? I'm at, that's not rhetorical. If the son knows how to ask, what is he asking? Manishtana. He's asking him. Manishtana So if a son went to day school... Baruch Hashem, his parents were Zohar, to send him to a day school that teaches him in school, right? So he's going to come home the night of the Seder, and he's going to say, right? He's going to sing the song, he's going to say that. That's one way to read the Mishnah. What's the other way to read the Mishnah? 
He asks whatever he wants to ask. Now, what do you mean he asks whatever he wants to ask? What do you mean? However he wants to Ah, excellent. There's another way to read this Mishnah, which we don't think of it this way because we're so programmed that little kids learn the Manishtana. There's a totally different way to read this Mishnah, which is the way my father-in-law is saying, which is, you know what happens? We want to start Magid right now, right? We want to start the Seder. Now, any good teacher will tell you, right, the best way to start a class is to get these students asking questions, right? Figure out ways to get these kids excited, get them talking, get them into it. Now, that's the goal, right? I want them talking. I want them involved, right? Now, what happens, though, if they're not involved? So if they're not involved, you know what happens. I have to start teaching them things to ask, right? So if my son's not going to ask questions, so I'm going to give him, here are questions you can ask, right? Now, that's a really radically different way of reading this Mishnah. In fact, right, they're almost on polar opposites. One is saying... And this is the language that I would use. One is saying that there's a script, there's a curriculum for our Seder, and that script is the Manishnana. If your kid knows it, that's great. If he doesn't know it, teach it to him. There's a very, very different way to understand the Mishnah, which is, there's no script. The goal of the Seder is to get conversation going, to get kids involved in the Seder, to get them talking. And you know what, though? If you have kids that don't know what to do, right? So you got to teach them, right? So you'll teach them Manishtana, and you'll teach them these questions. Now, what I love about this example is twofold. One is I think they both read beautifully into the Mishnah. In fact, this is a great example. I'm not going to go through it on the actual Gemara page. I debated doing it with you, but for time's sake, I'm not going to. It's a great example of when I said last week why the Gemara is not punctuated, because the punctuation makes a huge difference in how you read this and how you read the Gemara that we're not going to do. It's a Gemara that I skipped, but the punctuation makes a big difference. But more than that, the critical reading of the Mishnah is more reflective of something deeper. It's not just how to read the Mishnah, right? It's reflective of what's the goal of what's going on here, right? There are two very, very different ways to understand the entire Seder night. The entire Seder night. And they're radically different. And I would suggest that they're actually the two ways to read this Mishnah. The one goal of the Seder is we want to get our kids excited, right? I imagine sitting here in this room, there are probably two different thoughts on the goals of Jewish education. If I had to guess, knowing some of the personalities in this room, even I can even guess what some of you probably think about it. But some people send their kids to Jewish day school because they want their kids to come out of Jewish day school on fire, right? I want my kids to be on fire. I want my kids to be excited. I want my kids to love Yiddishkeit. That's my goal. If he knows how to read a Rashi, that's great. If he can break down the Ramban, that's icing on the cake. Not really my goal. I want them to be excited. There are other people sitting here and say, I pay for 12 years of Jewish education. Are you kidding me? My kid can't break down a Ramban. He can't make a landing on a Daf Gemara after all those years. He got it. That's what I'm paying for. I'll give him the fire in my house. We, we do Yiddishkeit in my home, right? I'm sending him to school, right? Because I want him to know A, B, C, D, E. That's what I'm paying for, right? I'm not paying for the other part. I could do that other part, right? And I imagine if we open the floor, we can get into a real heated debate as to what the goal of Jewish education is. I would suggest, humbly, that that's the machlokas and the two ways to read this mission, actually. What's the goal of the Seder? There's one goal of the Seder is get your kids on fire. Get them asking questions. In fact, that's the entire goal. Get them talking. You know? But some people struggle. They can't get their, their kids don't want to talk. Their kids are, empath- are apathetic. So, okay, so here's a script, right? Is Manishtana, I'll say it differently, Lichat Chila? Is Manishtana the ideal? It's what we want, or it's a bit of it. It's like, yeah, for the kids who can't really ask anything, let's get them to ask the questions. Now, 
for time's sake, I'm not going to walk through the whole shear that I've given before, but it's clear in Rishonim that you see these two sides. It's clear as day that you see these two sides. What's the goal of the Manashtana and how to read this Mishnah? But I'm going to show you the Gemara later on, and this, it's always hard to know, is it like which one came first? But the Gemara later on, on that same page, on Kuftav Zayin and Ptachim, says the following. Amar Rav Nachman and Daru Avde. Rav Nachman says to Daru, his servant, Avda Damapik Le'mari Lecheris. He says to him the following. He says to him at the Seder. This is, you'll see in a second, this is clearly going on at the Seder. Rav Nachman says to his slave, Daru, a slave who his master sent him free. And he gave him silver and gold. He says, he says to his slave, what would this slave have to say to his master? He says, I don't know, he'd have to sing and praise. It's such an amazing thing. It says, master sent him free. Amar lay says Rav Nachman back to his slave, a fascinating line. <coughs> you just exempted us from saying Manishtana. And he skips Manishtana and he goes straight to Avadim Hayinu. That's what the Gemara says, right? That's a strange story. Again, besides the fact that it seems a little bit not nice to his slave Daru that he calls him and has said that, but we're not going to get into that part. But he says this cute little act, you know, he does this cute little play, right? And he says, and what should he do? Oh, he should sing his praises? Okay, great. Thank you so much. We're skipping Manashtana this year. We're going straight to Avadim Hayinu, right? So again, most of us say, that's crazy. That's ridiculous, right? Yeah, we do all the cute skits in our house. But we don't skip Manashtana. I mean, it's, it's a central part of the Seder, right? Now, I hope some of you know where I'm going already, but that question is only a good question if you assume Manashtana is the ideal. If you assume Manashtana is a curriculum, if you assume there's something that we need to accomplish, there's a text we need to say, then yeah, what happened to Manashtana? But if you assume that Manashtana is just a tool for engagement, and in fact, it's the less ideal tool for engagement, the more ideal tool for engagement is you get those kids to ask right away. We want them talking, right? So this is a great skit. Rav Nachman did an amazing job, right? I come to my Seder, I do this whole game, I do this whole skit, all the kids are laughing at this, they're having a good time. Okay, amazing, let's, let's skip that Manishtana, let's go straight to Avadim Ayinu. We, we accomplished the goal of Manishtana, right? We don't need to say Manishtana, we did that goal by doing this skit. Now, why am I highlighting that Gemara to you? And again, there's two ways to read this Gemara, I'm not going through all the details. But what happens is, and this is what I really want to highlight in skill number one, um, when you become a critical reader, and again, when you start to read things really carefully and say, is this exactly what it's saying? Am, am I sure that this is what the words mean? Is there another way to read this maybe a little bit differently? Not even just analyze and think, but even just the reading skill first. Like, how do I read this line? Right? What is that saying? What is he asking? Is he asking Manishtana? I don't know. He didn't say Manishtana yet. If he was saying Manishtana, I would have written the Mishnah. Manishtana. And if he doesn't know, then the father will teach him, right? But it all starts with being a critical reader. When you read things, don't just take for granted how to read it. In fact, I said last week in the shear, or two weeks ago in the shear, that always be a critical reader of Gemara and Rashi. But sometimes it just starts with reading the mission. The Gemara is carefully. Start with reading it carefully. I know we, we spoke about art school and translations. I said last week, and I'll repeat it, every translation is an explanation. If you have the ability, if you have the ability to learn in the original text, you're always going to be better off because when you read the, the art school translation, I didn't look for this example, but it'll always be an explanation. I can guarantee you art school chose a side in what I just said. I can guarantee you art school chose a side in what I just said, either directly in the text or in the footnote they, because they have to choose a side. They have to read the line, right? But they're choosing a side just, again, biased you to one way to read it. There are other ways to read the line. So to go back and make sure you're reading it critically is super important. <laughs> there are other times... Um, where, and that now we'll go to the second part, there are other times where really the, I would say, the svara 
comes first a lot of times, and then the reading comes second. What do I mean by that? So there are a lot of times, um, I would say probably the most like <coughs> common, someone asked me last time about brisk or lumdus. The most common way that people talk about like lumdus is where you take like a topic and you view this issue in two different ways, right? We call it a chakira usually, right? You make a chakira, right? What does that mean you make a chakira? It means you take one concept, one law, and you see that law in two very, very different ways. Now, I'm going to, for a second, for a second, I hope you'll indulge me, lahavdil, I'm going to give an analogy that has nothing to do with, um, with our Gemara, and if you'll, you'll indulge me, I apologize, I hope you won't, you'll be okay, I'm going to give the example that I use in, in a high school, okay, I use this in high schools all the time, this following example, okay, if a high school has a rule on the books, right, that you're not allowed to eat in class, right, you're not allowed to eat in class, that's a rule on the books. Again, let's just imagine that a high school has a rule, you're not allowed to eat in a class. Okay? Now, that's a law. The law is on the books, we're not changing the law, we're not discussing the validity of the law, we're talking about the fact this is a law. Okay? We're not, again, we're not high school kids here in this room, we're not, is it a good rule? It's the rule. It doesn't matter if it's a good rule, bad, it's the rule. You're not allowed to eat in the classrooms. Okay? You're not allowed to eat during class. Let's phrase it that way. You're not allowed to eat during class. That's important. The phraseology is important. Okay? Now, that's the law. But what we should do is, if we're lamdanim, what we should do is we say, well, why is that the law? What was the basis for that law? Why did they make that law? Why? Why did they say there's no eating in class? Right? So now, again, I'm going to open it to you. Why? Why would a school say you can't eat during class? Ah, says Mayor, we don't want you distracted during class. Right? It's very distracting. We want you focused. We don't want you zoomed in on what we're learning. If you're eating, you're not focused in class. Can someone here give me a very different reason why they would say no eating in class? Thank you. It's disgusting. It's a mess. The next teacher's going to come in and say there's wrappers everywhere. The custodian's going to have double the amount of work, right? There's a lunchroom for that reason. It's a mess, right? Now, we have a law. The law is you cannot eat during class. Mayor says, I'll tell you why the school made that rule. They don't want you to be disrupted when you're learning. Right? Right? We're saying, no, 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 learning. It's a mess. It's going to make a disgusting mess in the room. We don't want a mess in the room. Right? So, now, if we have a law, we have two different reasons. This is like the most classic lambdas, right? We have a law, we have a chakira. Now, the next step, if we've ever done lambdas, is a nafkamina, right? Now we want to know, okay, great, you have two different reasons. Now let's come up with nafkaminas, right? So, what's a very, what's a nafkamina between these two answers? What's a nafkamina? Ah, can you eat when there's no class, right? We're on break, right? Can I eat my lunch in my classroom, right? I'm not, I'm not going to disrupt my learning. I'm not supposed to be learning now. It's going to make a huge mess, right? So that's the machlokas, Mayor Marcus, right? What's the deal? What's the reason, right? So the importance of lambdas in like a bigger sense is that when I know the reason behind the law, right? So now I'm able to apply that law elsewhere. You'll see all the time, there's a mission in Perkevos, in Hama Aretz Chassid, right? And Amaretz can't be a chassid. So what does that mean? There's a lot of different understandings of what that means. But one simple explanation, in Amaretz chassid, uh, that Amaretz can't be a chassid, is just that if you're an Amaretz, it means you don't really know what's going on behind the law. You just kind of know a law, right? But you don't know like any of the back reasoning for why that law is, right? And then you can't apply it correctly, right? There are so many examples, so many examples that I've seen where people misapply halacha in, in every direction. But they misapply the halacha because I know this one rule, right? I have no clue the context of that rule. I have no clue the basis for that rule. I, I don't know anything except that I know this rule. I, ever since I was a child, I knew this rule, right? Okay, but when you're in, you're in situation A, that may be the rule. But in situation A, B, C, D, and E, right, that rule may look very different. There may be reasons why that rule doesn't apply that way. If you don't understand it, you can't apply it. 
So we're going to go through one of the most classic. It's a classic Hakira. I'm not going to say anything that's too original, but it's a great, it's a great Hakira to highlight this idea of Lamdas. And it, to me, this is probably the most basic Lamdas, again, concept. So the, the, the Gemara in Brachos, the beginning of Parakates and Mavarachim, says, Kates and Mavarachim Alperos, and the Gemara starts, Minahani Mili. We'll skip the, I, I've left a little bit there. We're going to go to the, the second line there. What's the reason that we make a Bracha on Peros? So this is the Gemara's conclusion. Ella, the Gemara has a whole back and forth. This is the conclusion. Ella, Svarahu. You know why you make Brachas? It's just a Svara. It's logical. Now, when the Gemara tells us, by the way, it's a Svara, they're already telling us, right, it's, there's, there's, a, there's a reason why, right? There's a logic behind it. Svara is, it's not a Xeris Akastav, it's not a Pasuk, it's a Svara. So, what's the Svara? It's forbidden for a person to benefit from this world, that a Bracha. It's a Svara. The Svara is, you can't benefit from this world unless you make a Bracha. Okay, now, that's a Svara, but like, I don't, I don't fully understand the Svara. Why? Why is it Asr to benefit from this role that make a bracha? Like, what? Again, you're telling me that's the Svara. I don't fully understand that Svara. In fact, the Rashi and the Ritva explain this Svara very, very differently. If you look at Rashi in source number four, Rashi says, you want to know what the Svara is? Svara who? The Kivan Denene, Sarach Lahodos Amishabaram. If you're going to benefit, you're, you need to thank the person who created it, right? If you get a meal, your, your, your mother, your wife, your, anyone serves you a meal, you're not going to say thank you, thank you for making me this meal, right? That's, that's, that's kavod, that's the right behavior to do, right? You have a kar satov. If you're going to benefit, you need to be grateful to the one who gave you the food. That's what Rashi says the Svara is. The Svara is good midos. If you're going to have good midos, right, you're going to say thank you to the person who gave you that food. Says the Ritva, Surah number 5, No, no, no. The Gemara quotes a Pasuk later on, Ta'ashem is everything. You're going to take something that's not really yours and not ask for permission? Says the Ritzvah, this is not a svara of being a good person. It's not a svara of midos. You're a thief. This is not yours, right? Hashem owns everything in this world. Hashem made a rule. I'll give you everything, by the way. Just ask me for it. How do you ask for it? You make a bracha. You say, Hashem, I recognize that this is yours. Can I have it now? You can have it. Here you go, right? It's like with little kids. There's a machlokas, uh, American chinuch versus Israeli chinuch. I hear both sides of this machlokas, by the way. American chinuch is, you know, can I have ice cream? Say the magic word. Can I please have ice cream? Oh, sure, here's ice cream, right? What Israelis will tell you are, is what you're teaching your kids are, is they can get whatever they want as long as they ask nicely, right? It's a big, it's a, it's a great machlokas between American chinuch and Israeli chinuch. I happen to think I, I it's, it's a good machlokas, right? But, Right? So what's the Ritva saying? That's the Ritva saying. It's not yours, right? So you say the magic words, you say the bracha, so Hashem says, okay, you can have it now, right? You can always have it, just say the magic words, right? But until you say those magic words, until you say that bracha, it's still Hashem's. Hashem owns it, and you're a thief. Now, these are very, very different svaras. Rashi's svara is, be a good guy, have good midos, right? Say, say the bracha because you have to be thankful to the one who created it. The Ritva says, no, 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 it's not about being thankful, you're a thief. It's not yours until you say that bracha and you get permission. Now, what's the nafkamina? So there's a few nafkaminas, we'll go through two of them. The first nafkamina is a different Gemara and Brachos. The Gemara and Brachos, Andaf Yadalid, says, Hashari betainis toim ve'in klum. The Gemara and Tainus says, if, sorry, the Gemara and Bracha says, if you're in the middle of fasting, toim, you can taste, there's no problem with that. Ad kama, until how much can you taste? Rami Ravasi, Tami Ad Shiraviyasa. Ravami Ravasi said, you could taste up until Shiraviyas. Up until Raviyas, you can taste. Now, 
Simply reading that Gemara, what does it sound like? It sounds, I guess, this is how I read the Gemara. I'm sitting there on a fast day, and I'm hungry, so I want to make myself dinner. And I want to make myself that dinner, I want to make sure it tastes good. So when I make that soup, right, that uh, split pea soup that I want to have, so I'm going to taste it to make sure it has enough salt. So I'm going to put it in my mouth, taste a little bit, right? I could swallow. As long as I don't have a sheer revius, as long as I don't have that, that amount, I'm good, right? I'm going to be fine. That's the simple read of the Gemara. If you turn the page... We're going to go see a very different way to read this Gemara. Says the Tosos there, Perish Rabbeinu Hananel, Shechozer Upoli. Rabbeinu Hananel said, Whoa, slow down. You got to spit out that food though. Why? Because that's not considered benefiting from tasting it. You can't swallow it. Says Rabbeinu Hananel, when I say taste, I mean you can, again, you can taste it, right? Put it in your mouth, see if it needs salt, and then spit it out, right? Even ad shiravius, because you can't eat on a fast day. We don't care about fasting. Continues Tosas, umi shemhachi hapolit emitzarach bracha, shinonen. And says Tosas, and by the way, that's why you don't need to make a bracha, because you're not really benefiting. Right? So if you eat less than a shiravius, you taste it, you don't need to make a bracha, you could, you, you get, and you're not really benefiting. So what comes out of this Rabbeinu Hananel? What comes out of this Rabbeinu Hananel is, if I was benefiting, even though it's a tiny little bit, right? I'd have to make that bracha, right? Now, what's the svara to say I need to make a bracha when I taste the food, right? If I, right, if I come into, if I come into the kitchen, right, and my wife says, taste the soup, does it taste good, right? And I taste a tiny little bit, right? And I swallow it, right? I'm not going to say, thank you, that was delicious, right? I might say, it tastes great, Right? I might say it tastes great. I'm not going to say thank you so much. It tastes, right? I'm going to thank you if I need it yet, right? When I sit down for dinner, I'll say thank you. That was a delicious meal, right? But I'm not really sitting to eat. I'm just tasting it. There's no, there's no reason to do it. If the pshat is midos, if the pshat is stealing, right? So the halacha is you can't steal anything, right? You can't steal even less than shavapruta. You might not be chayiv to pay back. You can never steal, right? So if the pshat is stealing, right? So you can never steal, even the tiniest little bit. If the pshat in bracha is midos, being kind and saying thank you to Hashem, so I would argue, right, I don't need to make a bracha here until I eat a revius. In fact, if you look in the Rambam, source number eight, says the Rambam, if you're tasting food, you don't need to make a bracha unless you're eating a revius. Not just a bracha afterwards, even a bracha before, because again, it's midos. There's no midos here. I'm just tasting it to see if it tastes good. I'll eat it later. I'll say thank you to Hashem. Right now, I'm not trying to eat it. I'm just trying to taste it. That's nafkamina number one. Nafkamina number two is a much more exciting nafkamina. It's a great nafkamina. High school kids love this one. Let's say a student is going out to Chipotle's, right? He's going to eat at Chipotle's. Now, this is he, he might not be the frumest guy, right? But he, he always makes a bracha, right? I'm not eating at Chipotle's, but I'm going to make a bracha, right? So the kasha is a guy's going to Chipotle's with his friend, right? And one guy sits down and he gets his whatever sandwich that he gets. And he says, I'm, I'm going to make a bracha on my chipotles, right? Does he ma- is he allowed to make a bracha on that? Or I'll say it differently, should he make a bracha on that, right? Should he make a bracha on it? Now, before we even read the sources inside, right? So what's the svar of bracha? If the svar of bracha is to be thankful, right? So do we think right now that in this moment Hashem wants you to thank Him for the food that you are eating that He tells you not to eat? Probably not, Right? So, you know, if, if a kid is sneaking down at 10.30 at night into the candy cabinet, right, 
Um, it's not the best time to say, Mommy, thank you for buying the candy, right? Because she's going to be like, that's Shabbos candy. Why the heck are you eating it right now? Get into bed, right? I'm not happy that you're eating this candy right now. Get into bed, right? So the Midos is pretty lost, right? If the goal is don't eat this, and you're eating it despite, right? Despite a Kaddish Baruch's desires, it would be very strange to make a bracha. If the goal of a bracha is that you're a thief, right? So why add insult to injury, right? The goal is, right, don't steal, Right? So I'm already eating non-kosher. Bad. Eating non-kosher is bad. But I should add another iser to it, which is that I'm stealing the non-kosher that I'm not so speeding, right? So if, if Shana Bracha is stealing, so why not make a bracha? In fact, we won't read it inside for time's sake. I'm getting nervous about time. This is the Machlokas Rambam and Raivid. The Rambam is consistent. The Rambam again says that if you're eating a dover that's usher, don't make a bracha. Because the Rambam, consistent with the last halacha, said the whole goal of bracha is midos. That's why you don't make a bracha if it's a taste either. The Ravid argues. Now, why am I doing all this? I, I didn't want to get too much into this. I wanted to very briefly, and I apologize if I'm going fast. What I wanted to do briefly is show you um, that... Often, if we just see a machlokas and we see two ways to understand it, we start to see those nafkaminas. Now, this example, right, is, a, I, I use the word more famous, it's a more classic example, but there are a million examples. It happens all the time in learning if you just open your eyes to it. If you open your eyes to say, right, what's the purpose behind this law, right, and you see it in two different ways, when you start to learn a mesechta, right, you start to learn a gemara page after page, you start to see the same concepts coming up all the time. All the time. If those of you who do daf yomi, honestly, I'm, you see it all the time. The same, the mesechtas have themes a lot, not every mesechta, but a lot, they have themes. They all, they all have themes, they come up over and over and over again, right? And when you start to say, okay, this is the basis of Nachlokas, these two Rishonim are seeing something totally differently, then you start to see those Rishonim over and over again be consistent, right, in that path. Amir Tashem next week, my goal next week is to really take one sugya, and we're going to try and be a little bit bold, and put all the principles that we talk about tonight into one sugya. Tonight we're doing it in different parts, next time we're going to try and do it all in one sugya. But the idea is that when you see a concept and you say, okay, this is the law, now, how are two ways to understand that law? And now, how do I apply those, right, those elsewhere? Sometimes you'll be able to apply them on your own. Often, when you see the next Gemara, you'll be able to say, ah, oh, that, that's what's going on here. That's what's connected here, right? You kind of have to hold it. Going back to the beginning, you have to hold it, right? But you start to see it. And it happens to be, this is an example, I will say, where the Svarim, the later Achronim, that tell you a lot more, they know a lot more, so they start to expose you to these ways of thinking. They say, oh, okay, there's another machlokas over here, then you, and you're, oh, okay, that connects what out, right? This is when having those other svarim that give you a lot of sources are extremely helpful. The, the last two parts that I want to do um, come up, the first one literally comes up all the time if you just open your eyes to it, and I do want to give credit. Um, this concept, I really, I don't remember the phraseology, it was many years ago, but Rav Yosef Nesbacher, who's a Rebbe in Shalavim, um, I, I learned on, in his shir actually only for one Kayetzman, um, but he is an amazing Rebbe, and he is a Rebbe who has a lot of principles on how to learn Be'in. I'll even make a plug, he wrote a Sefer about learning Be'in, I don't remember what it's called, I think it's called Learning Be'in, but, um, but I highly recommend it, Rav Yosef Nesbacher, it's, next, it's, it's, it's really, it's a great resource, he's an amazing thinker in terms of like, you know, formulating things. So the one thing that I held on to from him actually, that this is really his idea, again, I don't remember these are his words, but this is his idea. If you start to see that when people ask questions, right? When people ask questions, they're always making assumptions, right? And when you answer questions, 
because people are making assumptions, there's always two ways to answer a question. And once you understand this concept, you actually see it not just in learning, you see it in life. These, these two that we're going to talk about now, uh, one is my own, um, one is what I got straight from Nussbacher. Um, you see it like all the time once you open your eyes to it. I'm going to give you an example. It's a lahav de olaf abdullahs, I apologize, but it's something that people talk about all the time, right? LeBron, James, or Michael Jordan? I apologize to those who don't relate to the question, but I'm going to say it anyways. LeBron, James, or Michael Jordan? Who's the greatest basketball player that ever lived, right? So everyone jumps to answer that question, right? It's this one, it's this one, right? And anyone who's a thinking person, and I apologize, I'm just going to say it straight. Anyone who's a thinking person, I'm not going to say a name right now, anyone who's a thinking person is going to say, well, what does it mean to be the greatest person? What, what does it mean to be the greatest player? When you answer right away LeBron James, or you answer right away Michael Jordan, you're making an assumption, right? Now, when I say you're making an assumption, it's obvious you're making an assumption, and I, and I apologize, but it's important to like, speak this out because I think it articulates the point, right? If you right away say LeBron James, what you really mean is, who had the longest career of being a dominant player in the NBA? And for sure, LeBron James. There's no question. It's not, it's not debatable. LeBron James had the longest dominant career in the NBA history. It, it's, it's, I mean, at least until this point. For sure. If when you mean the greatest player, you mean... In his era, nobody could beat him, and he was he was he was he was the best winner that ever played the game. You mean Michael Jordan? There's no question that you mean Michael Jordan. There's no one who ever saw him play that doesn't know Michael Jordan was the greatest winner that ever played the game of basketball, right? It's the truth, right? It's not a question of who was the greatest. It's really a question of when you say greatest, what do you mean? Because you are entering that conversation with a million and one assumptions of what it means to be the greatest. I, I will make a, a really lahav deal plug in a base measure, so I feel bad saying it. But if you're into basketball, Zach Lowe, there is nobody who analyzes basketball better than Zach Lowe. And his mom is like reading like Tosos and, and Rishonim because he breaks down the game and you see it on a level that like you, you didn't realize the game was being played on, right? And he has an amazing article on this topic of Michael Jordan versus LeBron James, where he says everything I just said, he articulates it beautifully, but again, what he articulates so beautifully, and then we'll go back into the Gemara in a second, but what he articulates so beautifully is exactly this point. When you ask the question, who's the greatest, what, what assumptions are you walking in with? Because whatever assumptions you're walking in with, I need to talk to those assumptions, right? And so often people are having debates, right? So often, political debates, all these debates, right? When people are having debates, right? I'm not talking about political debates on stage. That's just people trying to mudsling and you know win win votes based on you know a, a soundbite. But when people have like thoughtful debates, you just have to like listen for what are the assumptions that they're making in the conversation and talk to those assumptions, right? Talk to what they're saying, not just the words they're saying. What's under what they're saying? What's the undercurrent? And so often, in almost every Gemara, again, when you start to see this, you see it all the time. I'm going to give you one example of it, but you literally see it on a daily basis in the Gemara, in Rishonim. Um, you see it all the time, which is, we ask a question, right? And there's two ways to answer that question. Either I'm going to say, you made an assumption that I don't like, right? I'm going to reject the assumption that you made in your question. That's one way to answer your question. The other way is, I like your assumption, but, but you're misunderstanding it for this reason, right? I need to explain to you why this case is different. Even though your assumption is fine, but I want to swing you over here and show you why, why, why the an there's an answer to your question. I'm going to give you a very simple, straightforward example of this. To me, it's just a very clear example of this, okay? The Gemara, the Mishnah Baba Kama, the beginning of the third parak, talks about the following case. One guy leaves his, his jug in the middle of public property, okay? So he left his jug in the middle of public property. Another guy walking on his way trips over that jug. Now the Mishnah says, if this second guy who trips over that jug breaks it, he doesn't have to pay, right? Jug in public property, I'm walking. Presumably I don't see that jug. It's an accident. 
I trip over that jug, I break that jug, I don't have to pay. Ask the Gemara Baba Kama a very simple question. The, the Mishnah had said, if another guy comes and trips over and he breaks it, he's Pater. Ask the Gemara, am I Pater? Why? Why is he Pater? Don't you have to pay attention where you're walking? Ask the Gemara. And this is a good example because the assumption is right there in front of us. It's not hard to read. You don't have to find it. Says the Gemara, why are you Pater? Don't you have to look where you're going? Right? You're walking in the street. There's something sitting there. So look where you're going. What, <laughs> why'd you break my jug? I didn't see it. But well, you didn't see it. It was right in front of you. Open your eyes. I was texting. I was on my phone. Why are you texting on your phone? There's a jug right there in the middle of the street, right? So ask the Gemara, why are you pot? You should have been looking where you're going. And the Gemara gives four answers. Answer number one. Says Rav. You know, you didn't understand the case. The whole Rosh Hashanah was full of chavios. You're, at, you're telling me to miss this one jug? There were jugs everywhere. I couldn't walk. I couldn't get through the street. There were jugs in every single spot on the street. That's what Rav says. Shmuel Amar, Fafela Shanu. Shmuel says it was nighttime. It was dark out. They didn't have the street lights that we have. It was dark. I couldn't see it. Rav Yochanan Amar, Bekaren Zavis. Rav Yochanan says it was around the corner, right? I, I couldn't see your jug. I was turning the corner. It was right there around the corner. I couldn't see it, right? Stop for a second and pause. Answer one, two, and three are all different, but they're all the same, right? They're all different, but they're all, they're all exactly the same. What are they all saying? You need to look where you're going, right? Yes, I agree with your assumption. It's a great assumption. People should look where they're going. But you know what? There are sometimes I can't look where I'm going. There are sometimes where it doesn't matter that I'm looking where I'm going. I can't see it, right? There are cases that are exceptions to your rule, right? The rule is look where you're going. I can't always look where I'm going, right? It's dark out, it's around the corner, the whole Sarab is full of it. I can't always look, right? That's answer one, two, and three. But then comes along the Gemara and says a totally different answer. Rabbi Abba says to Ravashi, I'll make a little plug also for those who know me. Um, it's not just that it's a totally different answer. It's Amar le Rabbi Abba le Rav Ashi HaKam Marav Meshmei the Rav Ula. Now, all those names of Rabbi Abba le Rav Ashi, right? Rabbi Rav Ashi was the last generation Amora. Rav, Shmuel, and Rav Yochanan, who were the first three answers, are first generation Amoras. I apologize. I can't not help myself but tangent. Um, Tanam and Amoram is generally the distinction that we always make. Tanam are the Mishnayis, Amoram are the Gemara. If I'm over anyone's head now, I apologize. But Tanam are, are Mishnah, Amram are Gemara. But even in Amoram, there are different generations, right? So the first three answers were all first generation Amoram, meaning they all were working with the same assumption and they all lived in the same time period. Later on, there was a different assumption. You know what they said in Eretz Yisrael? You know what? People actually don't pay attention where they're walking. They don't. Sorry, you're telling me, why aren't you paying attention where you're walking? People don't do that. People don't pay attention when they're walking. When people are walking in a public space, they're on their phone, they're dealing with other things, they have their kids, they're, they're thinking about where they're going next. They're just not paying attention when they're walking, right? I don't need your answers. It was nighttime. No, no, no. I don't like your assumption. Your assumption was, I can leave my stuff in public space, people should look where they're going. And my answer back is, no, I don't. I don't have to look where I'm going. You have to not leave your stuff in public space. Now, this is a great example of this point. There's an assumption in this question. Why are you putter? You should have to look where you're going, right? So the first three answers, I'll say, yeah, you're right. You you're right. You should look where you're going. Okay, let's figure out a reason why he wasn't looking. The, third, the fourth answer is, your, your assumption was terrible. I don't like your assumption, right? 
I don't think people pay attention when they're walking. Now, if we had more time, if we wanted to get more into it, we could talk about why did they reject the assumption, why did they like the assumption, what's behind the assumption. Again, we can get more into it. But as a framework, um, this ha- this comes up all the time. Like, literally, with this one, if you start to see it, you see it everywhere. You see it almost in every page of Gemara, in every Machlokas we've shown him, right? You ask a question, and when you answer that question, are you accepting the assumption that they were making, or are you rejecting the assumption they're making? Now, that just helps to frame kind of how we're thinking about things and how we're moving about answering things. I- I'd like to give a second tool. They're not extremely different, but they're different frameworks. The second one that I'd like to suggest, this is my own, again, I don't know if I invented the wheel, but I, I never saw anyone write it up. It's something that I came to on my own after learning over a number of years, and I realized that this framework happens all the time as well, which is often, and usually Tosos, as we spoke about in the first year for those who were there, um, Tosos' like, role, if I were going to give Tosos a role in the history of the Masorah of our learning, um, Tosos' role was really to see Shas, our Gemara as like one big corpus, right? Rashi, um, at least in the way that he wrote his commentary, I'm not talking about Rashi believe, but the Rashi, the way he wrote his commentary, was like, I'm just trying to explain what's in front of me right here. R- Rashi was rarely, rarely trying to explain how this Gemara worked with the Gemara elsewhere. Now, whether or not Rashi had that in the back of his mind when he was writing his commentary, we could debate that, but he wasn't trying to do that. That wasn't Rashi's goal. The Rambam, the Rif, again, we spoke about this last week, those categories are we showing him, they were trying to do something very different. They were trying to parse from the Gemara what's the practical law. They weren't really, again, in the end of the rift, the Ramam, the Rush, their real goal wasn't necessarily to tell you how this, their, their real goal was to say, what do we take out of this Gemara and how do we practice our law? The, the Bale Tosvos, and there were other Rishonim in this camp as well, their goal was really to say, what's going on here, right? I see this Gemara in Shabbos, but I want to know how this works with this Gemara in Irvin, which is the example we're going to do right now. Tosas is doing that on almost every page. He said, what's going on here? I'm in Nazi right now, but how does it make sense of Gemara and Sota, right? That's what Tosas is doing all the time. And what it does is Tosas is highlighting contradictions, right? Now, before we even look at this example, I just want to give you the framework. And once you have the framework, again, you can apply this, um, you can apply this almost all over the place. I actually had a lot of nachas. I'll give him a shout out. Um, Ari Kohn, Hillel Kohn's son, who lives here with my Talmud in Kachachiv High School. Um, so Ari was asking me about the series and he said, can you give me like a little preview of the series? So I said, no, you have to come to the series if you want a preview, but I said, I'll give you a little bit. So I said, I'm going to talk about a few things. I said, I'm going to talk about like the ways to answer a contradiction. And without me having to say a word, he said, oh, there are three ways to answer every contradiction. And he said, reject A, reject B, or say there's no contradiction. I said, wow, Ari, I'm very impressed. You remember that from when he was in the ninth or tenth grade of my class? I was very, very impressed and I was touched that he remembered it. But I want to set up the basic framework. The basic framework is we have statement A and we have statement B and they contradict each other, right? We have statement A says one thing, statement B says something else and they contradict each other. I'm not going to say anything too crazy right now. There are three basic ways though to answer every single contradiction. Statement A is right and B is wrong. Statement B is right and A is wrong. Or statement A and B are not talking to each other. There's no contradiction between the two. We just need to resolve it and you'll see that there's no debate between the two. Now, sometimes that's very clear, as in, like, that way. Other times, you have to kind of, like, peel off the surface a little bit, and and you'll see, and we're going to do an example right now, we have to peel off the surface a little bit, but what I really mean is, statement A is my guiding anchor, statement B could be the exception, right? 
Statement B is my guiding anchor. Statement A is just an exception, right? Or statement A and statement B are both guiding anchors in different ways, right? I'm going to give you an example of that now. I'm purposely using an example that's a little bit more nuanced, but I think the reason I'm doing it, and I, whether it's a good decision or a bad decision, we'll find out in a minute, but I'm giving a little more of a nuanced one because it's not as obvious when it meets the eye. You kind of have to read a little more carefully in order to see what I'm going to say. It's based off two Gemaras. Both are fascinating Gemaras. There's a Gemara in Shabbos, on Davdal, Damad Aleph, that talks about the following case. Gufa. Boy, Rabbi Barabai, Hidbik Pas Betanor. A person put bread in his oven. Right? Now, what happened? The following happened. A person, 10 minutes before Shabbos, forgot Shabbos was coming. He put bread in his oven. Right? So he, the way they used to bake bread is they literally stick the bread against the wall of their oven, right? So Hidbik Pas Betanur. Now, he, Shabbos comes. And he says, oh my gosh, I have bread in the oven, right? Now, without getting into all the details, there's an Iser Durabanan to remove that bread right now, right? To take that bread out of the oven, Iser Durabanan. But if you leave the bread in the oven, Iser Daraisa Bishogi, right? So now... The guy's not an Amaretz right now. He's, 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 he's a smart guy right now, right? Oh, the Gemara's going to call him, right? Well, but, he says, Hidbik Pas Betanur. He put his bread in the oven. Shabbos just came. He says, wait a second. What do I do? If I take the bread out, Isr Darabonon. If I leave the bread in, Isr Daraisa Bishogi. What do I do? Right? It's not just a, I cannot act. If I don't act, I'm choosing making a decision. So says the Gemara, is he allowed to take it down before it comes to Chiyav or not? So the Gemara wants to figure out what the case is. And again, without getting too much of the technicals, Amar Rav Sheila, Le'olam B'Shogig. So Rav Sheila says, you know what the case was? He put it in by accident. Ulaman Hitiru. And right now we want to suggest, you know what it means, Hitiru? La'acherim. Another guy could come along and take it down for him. So what happens, Right? The wise tucks, Ashi is in his house, 10 minutes for Shabbos, he puts bread in his oven, right? Right now, this is what the Gemara is saying, right? So Ashi put the bread in his oven, and Ashi runs over to my house, and he says, I don't know what to do. I, I put the bread in the oven, right? I can't take it down, it's the Rabbanan, right? Right? Or I see it, right? And now, you know what I do? I say, Sadik, I want to save you, Ashi. I'm going to run over. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take that bread out of the oven, right? I'm going to do it. In order to save Ashi from an Isra Daraisa, right? He's going to get an Isra Daraisa Bishogi. I'll take the Isra Darabanan, right? I'm a good guy, right? I'm happy to save you from an Isra Daraisa Bishogi by doing an Isra Darabanan. Says the Gemara, are you kidding me? Would you ever tell one guy sin so your other guy can, can marry? We don't tell people to do that, right? If Ashi's going to get his sin, he'll get his sin. I can't sin. We tell one guy sin so the other guy can marry it. We don't do that. Okay, that seems like a pretty big rule, right? There's a rule. Statement A. Statement A. Okay, you're going to walk out tonight. Statement A. Don't sin to help your friends. Let's leave it out for a second. That's the shock of a tire of the Gemara. Let's just stick with this line. I know, you're good. You're asking questions. I shouldn't say I should stop you. It's good. You should ask questions. But hold it for a second. Statement A is we tell people don't sin to save your friend. Right? Statement A. The problem is there's a Gemara Nehirvin. The Gemara Nehirvin is talking about a fascinating case. It's a fascinating Machlokas. Basically, the idea is, in general, 
when I take, um, when I have fruits, I have to take off miser, right? Generally, the rule is, generally the rule is, you don't take off miser min hamukaf. What does that mean, min hamukaf? It means from food that's not sitting right in front of you. When you take off miser, the rabbi said, the rule is, take off miser from the food that's sitting right in front of you. So if you have a basket of fruit, take off miser from that basket. What you can technically do, but we say don't do, is I have a basket here in, 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 in BRS, and I have a basket in my house, and I say, you know what? I'm just going to take off Meister from this basket, and it's going to count for the basket in my house. We say don't do that. Again, we say don't do that. We say, you don't, you're not supposed to take Meister min hamuka, right? Now, here's the case, okay? A guy, a Tamil Chacham, tells in Ama Aretz, this is the case, the Tamil Chacham tells in Ama Aretz, Go take fruits. You could take fruits from my field. I have a basket, a few baskets out there in my field. You could go take fruits from there, right? Now, generally, the rule is what? You don't take mice from Minamukov. And generally, the rule is you don't take mice from stuff that's out in the field, right? So if I'm hearing this conversation, this is the Gemara, I'm a third guy listening to this conversation. I heard a Tamil Chacham tell an Amaris. Please, go take food from my field. You can imagine, by the way, it's not a hard ma- picture to imagine, right? You can imagine a guy is doing work in my house or whatever it might be, right? He's not a religious guy. And I say, I want to feed you. Please, go to my field. Eat some of the fruits. You're out there doing work. Please, go take fruits, right? The thing is that Ashi hears me saying this, right? Ashi hears me telling the Amaretz, go take fruits from my field. Now, can Ashi assume that I took Meister from those fruits? Now we have a problem. What the problem? The problem is, on the one hand, right, it, I don't take mice from Minamukov. I don't take mice unless that fruit's right in front of me, and this fruit's still in the field. So I'm not going to take mice from that. On the other hand, Ashi says, Great Jar is a good guy. He's not going to tell Inamaris to eat Tevel, right? To take, to eat from that fruit before Meister is taken is an Isser, is a big Isser. It's a Daraisa, right? Ashi knows I'm not going to tell him to do that. So Ashi says, of course, he must have taken off Meister Minamuka, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't have told the guy to go take food, right? So again, we have halachic triage. Meister, right? Take off Minamuka or tell the guy to eat fruit. That's Nisr Daraisa. Now, what's the machlokes, Rebbe, and Roshun Amlil, if you could eat that food? Now we're going to go into the Gemara. <laughs> says the Gemara, Rebbe, look at the end of that first line. Rebbe Savar. Also chavar ochel laaser. Ashi, who's our second chavar, he can eat that fruit, doesn't have to take off meister. Why? Because for sure, the first chavar right, took off meister. no, You have to take off meister. Why? Because you would never be choshed that, that I would take off chuma lomanamukov, right? I wouldn't take off chuma unless that was right in front of me. Vamarle Rebbe. Listen carefully. What does Rebbe say? Mutav sheyach shedu chaverim litrov shalom and hamukov va'al yachilu amaris tfalin. Rebbe says, no, no, no. It's much better that you're choshed me to be litrov shalom and hamukov than to feed an amaris tevel. I'm going to feed him food that he can't eat? There's no way I would have done that. Says the Gemara, my kamiflagi. These are the important words. What are they arguing about? Rebbe savar. Rebbe thinks... Rebbe says, 
it's better for a chaver to do a small iser and not let an amaris do a big iser. says, no, let him do a big iser, right? It's his responsibility to go take meiser if he wants to. He could do the iser. I'm not going to do any iser, right? Now, Roshim is great with our Gemara. He fits beautifully. Tosvos, though. Tosvos, if you turn the page, source 14, says, I got a problem, though. Tosos in Mesecha Shabbos says, I got a problem. Statement A, let's go back. Statement A was, don't sin to help your friend. Statement B was Rebbe, in this Gemara in Erevin, sinning to help his friend, right? That's what he was doing. He was taking Truma Shalom and Amukov in order to help the Am Haaretz from not eating Meiser. That is an Iser Klila, a light Iser, to save someone from a bigger Iser. Says Tosos, we got a stira. We got a contradiction between statement A and statement B. Says Tosos, says source 14, Bahada Amar Bibchoma Arvin, Rebbe Savar Nichle Lachavar Dlavadi Sura Klevoli Avid Amar Aretzi Sura Rabba, right? Says Tosos in Mesecha Shabbos, how does this Gemara in Shabbos telling me, don't sin to help my friend work with the Gemara in Erevin that says it's better for a Chavar to do in a Sura Klevoli Avid Sura So we have a contradiction, right? We have a contradiction. One Gemara says, sin to help your friend. One Gemara says, don't sin to help your friend. Right? Now, I said before, right? For both sins, I know it's just not sin. Yeah? For Good. For sins, the Rabbanon, uh, to, to avoid the derives of sin in both cases, I'm trying to... Good, good, good. Or what? Well, I'm just wondering if that's the case. Are they both the same? Are they both the same? Wait, they the same? Are they both the same? Do the Rabbanon to avoid the derives Versus what? You're saying, are they both derabbanans of rice? The answer is yes, but I'm, I'm trying to unpack what you're bothered by. I just, I, it's, then they're, they're similar. Then the two, similar. you're saying that, you're, that makes the more more makes it more difficult, because then they're contradictory. We don't want them to be parallel in a certain sense, right? Because the more parallel they are, the worse we are, because now they're going to be contradictory. Right? But you're asking, you're asking a question because you're looking for differences already. Can I just ask a quick question? How you people in this room need to dive in Marv? Need to dive in Marv. Okay, so we're gonna okay, so we're gonna try and finish from time for Marv at nine thirty. Um, okay, so statement A: Don't sin to help your friend. Statement two: Sin to help your friend. Contradiction. We have a problem. Now, the way that the Rishonim answer this question, and I apologize, I'm gonna have to go a little bit faster this last part. But the way the Rishonim answer this question, right? It's not just that what they say; it's how they say it. Meaning, what's my rule and what's my exception? Or, is there no rule and there's no exception? There's two different rules, right? That's why I was asking you what you're asking, right? Maybe there's two different rules, right? Rule A and rule B, right? It could be that's the case. Or, no, no, no. One is the rule, right? And the other one, you, you misunderstood. The other one's an exception, right? I mean, the rule is sin to help your friend, and that's an exception. Or the rule is don't sin to help your friend, and that's an exception. So let's read the Rishonim, and let's see how they, they phrase it. If you look in the first answer of Tosos, Tosos says as follows. And I numbered it for you. Those were added by me. Those were not in the actual Rishonim. Hasam, everything else is their language. Hasam, Kadesh lo yochal ama'ares tevel al yado. Says Tosos, go back to that Gemara Nehrevin. That's because you don't want him to eat tevel through you. To Amar lay, what did you say to him? You told him in that Gemara, as I told you the case, fill your basket from my stuff, right? 
Here, the Isra didn't happen through me. Here, though, it's not my fault Ashi put in bread right before Shabbos. That's Ashi's fault, right? Now, I can maybe help Ashi, but that's not my fault, right? That's his fault, right? What's Tosu saying? I believe what Tosu is saying is, the Gemara in Shabbos is the rule. The rule is, don't sin to help people. Right? Now again, I'm not talking about the hashkafa behind this, which I would love to get into. We don't have time. But the rule clearly is don't sin to help people. Right? If he's got a problem, you should try and help him. But if it's going to make you sin to help him, don't help him. Right? Oh, the Gemara in Ervin says that you... No, no, no. The Gemara in Ervin was because I told him to take my fruit. Right? Unless so, it's your fault. Don't help someone unless it's your fault. Exactly. But the rule is don't help. Right? I mean, the rule is don't help. Right? Don't sin to help your friend. The exception is, if it's your fault, if you're causing him to sin, then maybe you should do it. Right? That's one way of phrasing it. Right? If you look at answer two, he says, wait, that gemara is not, not relevant here. Why? Says Tosos answer number two. Totally different answer. No, no, no. These two cases aren't comparable. Think about it. In one case, the, the act already happened, right? Ashi already put the bread in the oven, right? The question is, can I now save him after the fact or not? That's a very different question. The Gemara and Eirvin is talking about before the fact. I'm making a cheshbon. Should I sin to help my friend prevent him? Yeah, that's actually totally fine, right? Now, how do you read this answer? Again, I wish we had more time. I apologize, I was going to be late tomorrow, including myself. But, again, how do you read the answer is very different. Is the pshat, What's the pshat in this answer? What's the rule and what's the exception? Is there a rule? Is there exception? Is it two totally different rules? Right? It's not so clear. But my point is, and we could talk about it more, I will tell you what I think Tosa is saying, and there's more answers here. Maybe next week we'll start with this, and then we'll jump into the next sugya. But my point is, is that don't just read the answer. Right? Reading the answer and understanding the words is great. Right? But understand what's behind that answer. Right? We have a contradiction. Statement A, statement B. When we answer that question, what are we really saying? Am I saying that statement A is my grounding source, that's my anchor, and statement B is my exception? Am I saying statement B is my, is my anchor, statement A is my exception? Or am I saying these are two different topics? Don't, don't mix these two topics. They're two totally different things, right? We're not going to mix the two. We'll do another example next week. Blee Nether will start with this example to, to flesh that a little bit more. Um, we'll do one more example next week. Thank you all for coming. I hope you come back uh, for our last, uh, our last next week.